you for joining the ladies of Her Portion Podcast. Come, pull up a seat at the table, because you are welcome here. Grab your Bible and a pen, and let's dig into God's Word together. Take a moment and pray that God would open your heart to Him as you listen. So without further ado, let's get right into today's portion. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Her Portion Podcast. I'm Courtney, and I'm going to be wrapping up this month's topic. This month, we have been talking about contentment. So I want to wrap that up today. A wise person once said, discontentment makes rich people poor, and contentment makes poor people rich. Our children's choir just sang a Patch the Pirate song during our Sunday morning service, and it was called Gratitude Attitude. It's all about being thankful for the things you do have. You may not have much, your clothes may be old, but give thanks to God for all you've got. And the chorus says, lift your voice and sing. Always thank the Lord each day for everything He brings your way. Catch the Gratitude Attitude. Such a simple children's song, but it has so much truth in it. And Paul knew a thing or two about that gratitude attitude. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 8 through 18, Paul writes, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is God's will for your life. God wants you to live a successful Christian life, and this is part of it. These three things coupled together can get and keep you on the right track. They are God's will for your life. Rejoice evermore. That's literally the opposite of what the Israelites did. It's the opposite of murmuring that we get so used to doing. It's a habit. I mean, you can break the habit of murmuring. Instead of complaining about everything, rejoice. Pray without ceasing. That's always being in touch with God and in everything give thanks. That's in every situation. There is something that you can be thankful for. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. Matthew Henry was robbed once, and this is what he had to say about the experience. Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, let me be thankful that although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. When something goes wrong or a way that you may not want, you can decide to complain and mope around Or you can choose to be thankful for what you do have. Thankfulness is thankfulness. I did a um, podcast on that last year, I think in November. Thankfulness, T-H-A-N-K, thankfulness is thankfulness, T-H-I-N-K. It all starts with our mind. Our mind is a powerful tool and we can use it for good or we can allow the devil to use it for bad. So a year or so ago, um, Hannah did a book reading club on her Instagram and she did Zoom calls and everything. And we read the book Rewired. And I want to read you a little excerpt from that book. It's all about retraining your mind. So this is what the author had to say. Our thoughts influence our beliefs and our behaviors. Thus, if the devil can do any single thing to get you off track, he wants to trap you in a pattern of wrong thinking. He doesn't care what kind of stronghold you allow him to build. It doesn't have to be a bad thing like anger, bitterness, or lust. He's just as happy to get you into the prison stronghold of good things like prideful self-confidence or false humility. The devil is constantly on the prowl for an opening to establish a stronghold in our hearts. This is why we must consistently hold our thinking to the truth of Scripture. For only in God's Word will we find a true source of protection from the enemy. 
Only when we measure our thoughts against the unalterable and unshakable standard of absolute truth will we be able to recognize the strongholds Satan is working to build in our minds. Many people are disillusioned and they believe that contentment has to do with material things. But Psalm 37, 16 says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. And Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The key to Paul's contentment was in three little words, I have learned. And Blair says that these words carry the thought of entering into a new condition, meaning that there was a time in Paul's life when he was not content under all circumstances and all conditions. And he goes on to say, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. The key again is those three little words, I am instructed. It literally means I have learned the secret. At one point, he hadn't known it, but now it had been revealed. So how could he be so bold? How could he have learned the secret of contentment? What was the secret? The secret is full commitment to Jesus Christ. There was this little boy, and he lived out in the country. He had never seen a circus. And one was coming to town, and so his daddy gave him money to go see it. Well, when he reached the city, uh, the circus parade was moving down the main street, and he was so excited. He stood by. He watched this amazing sight. You know, the band came through. They had the glittering cages, the wild animals, the acrobats. I mean, he was impressed. And then came the clowns and the jesting, and they amused used the audience and suddenly one skipped over to the little boy and after performing some of his antics he held out his hand to his admirer and the boy just slowly handed the money that his father had given him to the clown because he thought this must be the circus after the parade was over he went home and it was months later before he even discovered that he had not seen the circus but only the parade this is just like a Christian that is living a Christian life, not in full surrender, in full commitment to Jesus Christ. There are so many Christians that are miserable because they have bought into the world's lies. They think they're at the circus when really it's just the parade because they won't take it a step further. Contentment doesn't come in our circumstances or our material possessions. Contentment comes when we fully trust in Jesus Christ, when we know he's in control and we have handed him the reins and we trust him with the outcome. I want to read you another excerpt from another book. It says, someone has said there are three besetting sins that ensnare many of God's people to whine to pine, and to recline. (laughs) The Lord has provided every advantage for our contentment in Christ, but we find it easier to grumble and complain. We fume and fret about the noise the children make in the home rather than give thanks to God that they're healthy and happy. We mutter about the inadequacy of the house we live in while thousands do not even have a house. We grumble about all the work we must do while our hospitals are overcrowded with people who cannot work and many who will never work again. We complain about driving the old car when millions in the world have no food to eat. We bewail the cold spiritual conditions of our churches without ever attempting to do anything to warm it up. We complain about souls not being saved, yet seldom bring neighbors or strangers to church. We talk of the tremendous need of reaching the lost in the lands beyond, and yet we give a pitiful pittance to missions. And we murmur about our present generation of young people, and yet in our own homes, we fail to present the beauty of Christ. Why all this complaining? Why do Christians grumble so? 
carnality, unsurrendered living. And what's the result? Discontentment. Do you want to know the secret Paul learned? Then give yourself fully to God. This is the only way to get it. For when Paul speaks about contentment, he also stresses godliness. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you fully surrender to the Lord Jesus, you'll find him to be your sufficiency. You will need no more. He will be your all in all. The lust for things will disappear and you will find contentment in him. So years ago, um, some little kids were playing in a poor section of the city. They were having a good time. They were playing make-believe, and they were riding on an old log in the yard. So a man comes by, and he says, well, good morning. Uh, That's rather slow riding. Wouldn't you like to have a horse and a buggy? Well, yes, sir, answered one of them, but we haven't any, so we're getting the most fun we can out of what we have. And that is what Paul is teaching in this text. Getting the most fun you can out of what we have. This is what God wants for you. Contentment in Christ. Doing all things through Christ. Believing Christ. Resting in Christ. He instructs in Philippians 4 eight. He says, he lists six important virtues that should guide us in our thinking. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So why is that so important? Well, because your mind controls you. J. Allen Blair said, A troubled mind is a convenient depository for the seeds of doubt, despair, and wickedness. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what are you thinking on? These miserable circumstances you're facing right now? Or all of the wonderful things the Lord's given you and provided you with? It's all about how you think. Now, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Joseph. And I've actually been teaching about Joseph in my first and second grade Sunday school class this month. And if there was anyone that should be able to complain and mope and murmur, it was Joseph. He was sold as a slave by his own brothers. I cannot wrap my mind around that. They hated him so much, they couldn't even speak kindly to him. They wanted to kill him. But instead, they just decided to sell him as a slave. And then as a slave, he was wrongfully accused by a woman that he wouldn't give in to. If it could go wrong, it seemed to go wrong for him, y'all. Yet we read in Genesis 39 two, the Lord was with Joseph. That was when he was sold in Egypt as a slave. And then again in Genesis thirty nine twenty one, the Lord was with Joseph, and that was when he was thrown in prison wrongfully. In both of those situations, God was still with Joseph. Although things were going wrong in Joseph's life, God didn't leave him. And, you know, Psalm 105, it actually talks about giving thanks unto the Lord. It goes on to tell of the things that God did for the Israelites. In verses 16 and 17, it says, Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land, and he broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. It sounds like God was at work all along in this boy's life. Even when we feel like God's left us, we can be sure that he hadn't, that he is fulfilling the promise found in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Warren Wiersbe said, our God is so great that he can work out his purposes even when people are doing their worst. Genesis 50, 20, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. That's what Joseph said. Daniel four thirty five, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. 
And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What dost thou? Do you see Joseph's example to us? He lived in some pretty difficult situations, but instead of giving up, he stayed faithful to God and he kept on serving God, even in the hard times. And God was able to use these terrible circumstances for good. And the blessings that the Lord bestowed upon Joseph in these not so ideal circumstances were evident to those around him. I'm going to read Genesis 39, 3 through 5 to you. It says, And his master, this is talking about Joseph, his master Potiphar, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. God used Joseph's faithfulness to bless not only Joseph, but those around him also. The people around him got to see God working in the life of Joseph. Not only the people in Potiphar's house, but also the people that were in the prison. Joseph was a direct contrast to the children of Israel. They murmured and they complained and Crystal talked about that in her episode. If you hadn't listened to that, make sure you go back and listen to it. But Joseph was the direct opposite. He trusted and he waited. So which one are you? Are you content where God's placed you right now? Are you working for the Lord right where you are in whatever situation? Or are you whining, pining, and reclining? Thank you for joining us today on Her Portion. We hope you leave with plenty to ponder from God's Word. We encourage you to use today's topic to start your own study in the scriptures. Until next time.